You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Marshall left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back, goal for Yelich! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete so he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. You have to win today. It's, It's where you put yourself. It's the worst case scenario you can have in the postseason. And unfortunately, our A's have put themselves in that scenario. I'm just going to give you the history. It's not good. In a best of of five series, teams that have taken a 2-0 lead have gone on to win the series 73 of 83 times. 88%. So the numbers aren't good, but there is a chance. Most recently, and I totally forgot about this, the Yankees against the Indians in 2017, they were down two zip, and they came back and won. Of the 73 teams to advance after winning the first two games, 49 finished off the sweep in game three. So you look at the A's. This is the seventh time they've been down 0-2. They've never come back from 0-2. And five times they've been swept. So do you want to change history? Can you change history? Can you change franchise history? We're going to find out today. Let's find out today exactly what these guys are, are made of. Your, back, your back's against the wall. We got all these numbers that aren't good. Who are you as a team? You've talked about how you think you're a good team. You've talked about how you love each other. You've you've said all the right things. You're going up against your arch rival. They've taken it to you for two days. You haven't played great baseball. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to come out and play like a champion? Or are you going to fold? You got one of two ways you're going to go. I think I have an idea about how this is going to play out, but we will see. No matter what, we will have a great show for you. Ray Fossey is going to be here at 930 as Ray's been joining us every day, getting us ready for the ALDS. Doug Glanville, longtime player, one of the most fascinating guys in baseball. Whether you want to call him a TV guy, a podcaster, a writer, 
He's a professor at the University of Connecticut. I mean, he is the most interesting man in baseball. Doug Glanville is going to join us at 10 o'clock. Mike Petriello from MLB.com will be here at 1030. And then the commissioner of baseball. That's right. Rob Manfred, the commish, is going to be here. And I can tell you, we've already done the interview. Obviously, he's on the East Coast, so we had to get up. Uh, Commander Cody, you're not looking so hot. You had to get up early today to do the commish. 7.45 is a bit early. I mean, even for us, and when we usually would do interviews, what, for a 3 o'clock show, we'd be doing interviews. What, the one time we did Jim Bowden at like 8.45 in the morning for a 3 o'clock show. But it just it's just different. Like, my body's still adjusting back to this getting up at 5.36 in the morning to do a 9 o'clock show. It's kind of like going back to doing the morning show routine that we used to do years ago. And, like, I thought I would never be able to forget that, but apparently I have because sometimes it's, you know, it's hard to get up. But, you know, I'm glad we're able to get the commissioner in. It seems like a yearly occurrence that we get Rob Manfred on our show uh, around the same time every year. Last year it was at the wild card game against the Rays. This year now it's in the ALDS. So it seems like every year – each, we get him every round they progress, so hopefully next year it'll be even further and uh, we'll get to talk to him even more. So I'm glad we're able to get the commission on today. Well, all I know is we started taping interviews yesterday at uh, like 8.30. And then how long was how long was our show yesterday? Three and a half hours? Yeah, we were done at 12.30. Okay, so it was a three and a half hour show. And then I had to do an hour-long pregame show, Ace Total Access. So that's four and a half hours. And then I did like an hour and a half postgame show, which I didn't get done to like after 6.30. And then went on with Mark Willard on KMBR yesterday. Uh, normally, I would have said, eh, too long of a day. But I knew we were having the commission on, so I had to promote. Uh, Willard's a good dude. So I then went on KMBR. I basically went from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. yesterday and then to wake up early today to do the commission. I'm committed. Let's go. I'm putting out my damn effort. Are these guys going to put out their effort? That's what I want to know. I don't want to hear about a crapshoot anymore. I don't want to hear that, well, you know, it's the playoffs and you never know. All I have is this long list of this franchise losing, and I'm tired of it. And I watched the Rays yesterday, the team we're compared to. I watched them man up last night. Boy, did they get one of the greatest calls of all time that really helped them out. But the Rays manned up. They made it a series, winning game two against the Yankees. Yankees end up bombing them late in game one. Oh, no, it's the Rays. Now, the Rays are tough. They truly are resilient, and I think we need to stop using that word around the A's until they earn it, because they're not. No, the cloud hasn't gone away because they took down the White Sox in the wild card series. I wanted to think that, but that's not the case. Let's see what they do today. You want to say they're tough? And by the way, I am so tired of hearing about the coaching staff. This is something, okay, I've been doing this for well over uh, around 28 years. And the fans 
you have fans love to blame coaching staffs. They love to blame the offensive coordinator. They love to blame the head coach. They love to blame the manager. They love to blame the hitting coach. And then it's the pitching coach. And it's this and it's that. Let me tell you something. I have this list. All right. 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2006, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2018. 2019, 2020. Guess what, folks? A lot of different managers, a lot of different hitting coaches, a lot of different pitching coaches, and the story has stayed the same. There has been so many. I said you got to play big. There's been so many non-big performances by this franchise for a long time. Let's be honest. It's been a lot of different people, a lot of different human beings. When is somebody going to step up and do something? The Astros have. The Astros have stepped on the gas. They've turned it to another gear. And the A's, I, I, I can't tell you how many texts I get, Cody, during these games. They look flat. They look this. They look that. I don't think they're flat. This is the playoffs. How would you not be up for it? I I just think that when you get into the postseason, you need to be able to make, wait for it, contact. You have to be able to make contact. And the A's with runners in scoring position. And, and, and let, let's sort it out here. Cody is all into analytics. Cody has said multiple times, batting average doesn't matter. The A's with runners in scoring position, they didn't even have a runner in scoring position yesterday. They're three for 20 in this playoffs, and they're three for 30 the last three years. So that's two wild card games a wild card series, and now two games in the division series, they're three for 30. My San Jose State math isn't great. Three for 30 is a batting average of 100. And I'm going to give Ken Korak credit, not for being the voice of summer and not being the voice of fall, which, by the way, this is the first time I actually, uh, as we tape, Rob Manford this morning, I was like, oh, my God, it's kind of cold. I had to actually put sweats on today to get ready for this show. But uh, Ken Korak said it best. They're not flat. You just look flat when you don't hit. And yesterday, so uh, to be honest, I was pretty down in the dumps yesterday after the loss. I'm thinking, yeah, down 2-0. You know, the A's have been down 2-0 seven times. They've never come back. They've been swept five of the time. You know, I'm, I, I, I got all the info. And what bothered me was watching the Yankees when Giancarlo went deep. God, that was a monster home run at Petco yesterday. 
to watch the joy that they have. Even though they lost, they're having a great time. Tampa, they're having a great time. Dodgers against the Padres in Arlington, they're having a great time. You know who never seems like they're having a great time in the postseason, dating all the way back to 2000? That's the A's. Why does this team... Remember Jason Giambi? Cody, you're too young. But Jason Giambi, it's like a frat house in here. I remember back in the early 2000s when I'd come over to Oakland and covering the A's. They had remote control cars. Oh, they're so loose. They're so much fun. Basically, this team, when it gets to the postseason, managers have changed, coaches have changed, players have changed. You know what doesn't change? Having fun loosey-goosey during the regular season, and then they get into the postseason, and they get puckered. They get tight. Other, do the A's look like they're having fun? I don't know. You tell me, Cody. Does it look like they've been having fun at Dodger Stadium? Do they look like they were having fun at home against Chicago? At any point, were they dancing? I mean, Fernando Tatis comes into the dugout. He's dancing, and everybody's dancing around. They, do these guys ever look like they're having fun? The only time I really caught a glimpse of it is in game one in the ALDS against Houston when right after Olsen hit his home run and then there was the single and the double, uh, the Robbie Gresson double, and you could see Olsen and everyone cheering. And then I think one of, it might have been Olsen's home run where the dugout got it got all excited. But, like, you watch, like, the Cubs play. The Cubs always have different stuff going on in their bullpen and they have musical instruments. And I know it's a little different for the A's to do that at the Coliseum because their dugout's on the field where other every other stadium besides, like, one other one, which is, I think, Tampa, where the bullpen's on the field. Um so, yeah, I've only seen it from what I've been, like, closely paying attention. It looks like just the the first game of the ALDS and that one inning where they, you know, where they got some runs. But other than that, like, yesterday I didn't really notice it. And even, like, I, I didn't really even notice it when Pinder hit that moonshot home run. Well, this is more of, like, a laser. But it was, I think, like, what, 114 off the bat for exit velocity and a lot of deep right field. But, yeah, like, I haven't seen a lot of uh, excitement. And I just saw a quote that uh, I think it was John Hickey tweeted out from Jake Lamb because Lamb's in media availability right now. He said, now's the time you got to have fun. I don't know how that fits when you're down 0-2, but, I mean, if, that, if that's what you're going to use as a motivational thing, then I'll, I'm all for it. But So, basically, I'm not wrong, because I, I didn't know Lamb said that. I just came into this show this morning, grumpy, with a cup of coffee, just thinking about, like, why? Why does this team stink in the postseason? And it, it, it bugs me because I care, one. And two, it's like it's a lot of different people. A lot of different human beings have been a part of this since 2000. A lot. How does that work? Jason Giambi to Miguel Tejada. I mean, I was looking like, like God, I... Can't remember what what the caller said, but I I was like looking it up going, you know, you go back to like 2001. You know, obviously this team doesn't have a lot of star power, right? I mean, when you're when when you got Pender and Canna hitting three, four for you in the postseason, there's not like a whole lot of star power here. 
you know, whether whether Matt Chapman's here or not, uh, Matt Chapman, yeah, you can win platinum gold gloves. He's not a star. I mean, back then, I mean, you're rolling out Giambi. You're rolling out Tejada. You're rolling out Chavez. I was going through this. I, w- I was going through it on baseball reference. You got Hudson, Mulder, Zito. I mean, you got you 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 had you had MVP Cy Young Award type players, right? Jermaine dies there. Johnny Damon. I mean, these are legit big league guys with resumes. Do I need to go over that again? Do you want me to bring that up? It feels like I just got off the year anyway, so I might as well bring it up. Like you go to like the 2001 team, uh, A's. I mean, look at these names. Ramon Hernandez was an all-star as a catcher. You got Giambi. Giambi had 38 home runs and had 120 RBIs and had a 1,137 OPS. Giambi is a star. Miguel Tejada, your shortstop, 31 home runs, 113 RBIs, and an 801 OPS. Eric Chavez, 32 home runs, 114 RBIs. You got Johnny Damon. You got Jermaine Dye. Frankie Minichino. Let's see. Just going at, oh, that's my man, John Jaha. Roy Steele was always the best. John Jaha. I mean, you, you got legit Hudson, Mulder, Zito, Gil Heredia, Corey Lytle. Jason Isringhausen had a monster year that year. What do you have, 30, 34 saves. I mean, you had, I mean, this is a team that's loaded, and they didn't win. I mean, the names of that team versus the names on this team, let's be honest. But still, the recipe's the same. Why can't they get it done in the postseason? I don't know. I don't know. Do they need more joy? Do they need to stop gripping it so much why do they grip it so much where does that start why does the front office grip it so much in the postseason like like what is it because other teams don't other teams like like they battle and they're not stressed do the dodgers look like they had any stress on their faces at all yesterday in arlington they were the late game watching that game did you see any stress whatsoever? Like, like, how about Justin Turner got jammed and knocks it into right field completely? He gets a first base, and they have that signal with their hands because because if you've ever hit with a wood bat, you know if you get jammed, it like totally shocks your hands and it hurts. And they have their signal. Ah, I didn't hit it on the barrel, and they're all laughing. And then a little bit later, Bellinger hits it off the end of the bat, which will give you that same shock to your hands. And then he's doing the same thing. Do they look stressed? I didn't see any stress at all from the Dodgers yesterday. Cody, is it me, or did you see that against the Padres? Uh, I did not. And even when Walker Buehler had, what, 63 pitches through two innings, and he's walking everyone, like there was no stress. And for a little bit, I was listening to the game on uh, on 93.7, the fan in San Diego, so I was listening to our good friend Ted Leitner talk about his Padres, 
And uh, he was probably calling them your Padres. He, yeah. He, <laughs> well, he, it was there was no score in the game, and I don't mean to go on a, on a quick aside about it. But I'm listening to the game, and it, like Ted's just so great listening to him call a game because he'll just like weave in different stories, like he's talking to himself. And then he'll just be like, okay, you know, this is happening. You know, the the, the Rays are playing out, you know, Tropicana Field down here in Texas. And then he goes and he goes, oh, it's ball, ball two. And he's like, the way he just does it and the way he talks, he goes, that's a terrible strike call. And like, just, just the way he did it. So I was enjoying listening to it. But yeah, the Dodgers didn't look stressed. And then they scored, what, five runs in that inning. And the Padres, or the Padres used nine different pitchers for the third time this postseason. Uh, I, I can see the Padres being a little stressed when Clevenger went out because they probably rushed him back from that injury. But the Dodgers never look stressed. Like, well, especially this year, but like even like every other year I've ever watched them. Maybe in game five of the NLDS last year against the Nationals, but other than that, I don't ever see any of their guys look like they're stressed about anything, maybe besides Kershaw in the postseason. That's about it. They have fun, they win, and they do the different hand gestures. I love when teams do that. They, they this, It loosens you up a little bit. I got to tell you, I don't see our – you know – and now that we bring it up, I can't wait to play that now uh, where Jake Lamb is saying, we need to have fun. Well, why weren't you having fun in the first place? You're in the postseason, for God's sakes. I don't understand it. I understand why they play. And, and you know, oh, what about Melvin? Melvin's not the problem. Melvin's the reason you get here. Melvin's not the reason you don't win. If you believe that, you have no clue. I don't understand why A's players, when they get to the postseason, become a different group. And you can't say it's a crapshoot. You can't say when you've been in the playoffs 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2006, 2012, 13, 14, 18, 19, 20, at some point, it's not a crapshoot. I mean, would we all agree? Like, a crapshoot is the Marlins. They've been in twice, and they've won the World Series. It's an outlier. It's a total outlier. When you get into the postseason that many times and always lose and always lose early, that's not an outlier. That's a trend. Am I wrong on that? No, because you can say the same thing about the Minnesota Twins. At least the A's have won a series, and they win post. They won a few postseason games. The Twins can't even win a postseason game. To lose eighteen straight games in the postseason is just oh, yeah. remarkable. You're gonna tell me, you're, oh, you're going to tell me? Oh, that's just you know, that's a crapshoot. It's to a lose eighteen straight games. You call that a crapshoot? I blame the Ro- a crapshoot. I blame that on Rocco Baldelli. He's responsible for all eighteen of those losses they've had dating back to two thousand two. No, they've had different managers too. They've had Garden Hire. They've had Baldelli. Uh, who was the manager before Rocco? I think it was um, Paul Molitor. Like they've had different managers run through that organization. It's not you can't keep blaming the coaching staff and the managers and the player. I, I don't know what it is. It's just it's like a phenomenon. I can't I can't explain to not like to watch those. Those are the two like best examples of. Teams that just something ha- switches in the or- during your, uh, p- the postseason with the Twins and the A's. Uh, same thing last year. They were two of the better teams in the league, hitting a bunch of home runs. They were having a lot of fun, and then the postseason came around, and it was a completely different story, especially for the Twins. They got swept by the Yankees again, and then they get swept by the Astros this year. I just don't understand. Like, it's, I don't know if it's a mentality thing or 
if it's a mindset thing, they need to, to create a different mindset. I don't know, but it's it's really crazy to see that those two teams, especially the A's, struggle so much in the postseason. Okay, so the Astros are trying to get to the league championship series for a four straight year. That's not a crapshoot. The Yankees have won, God knows. I, I saw that, how many postseason wins they have. and I, That's not a crapshoot. I mean, what sport do you want to go to? Um, the Lakers have won how much? They're about to win again. Is that a crapshoot? Uh, the San Antonio Spurs under Greg Popovich and the run that they had. Is that a crapshoot? Jordan and the Bulls. Uh, the Patriots. Uh, the 49ers. The 49ers. What was it? 16 straight years, the 49ers won at least 10 games a year. And we're in the playoffs 15 out of those 16 years. They actually won 10 games and didn't make the playoffs. Should have been 16 out of 16. All right? They won five Super Bowls. Five Super Bowls in 16 years. At least 10 wins a year for 16 years. Different quarterbacks, different players. That's not a crapshoot. Different coach. Different coach from Walsh to Seifert. I mean, what the Patriots are doing, not a crapshoot. We've seen hockey teams. It's not. Maybe that's the mentality. Maybe the mentality has to be it's not a crapshoot. We expect to win. Boys, we're – and that's what this team was, though. Remember, we were at spring training. Got to win the West. Got to win the West. Then we're going to go on a run. Well, you won the West. When's that run coming? Because they don't look – I mean, am I wrong? They don't look themselves in these two games. Not at all. I mean, we've seen it with – the perfect example is the starting pitching. The starting pitching, what, in six – or, what, five postseason games – the pitchers, the only one pitcher has gone more than five innings, and that was Chris Bassett against the White Sox. Every other guy has not gone five innings. That were they were a team that was unbelievable in the regular season when it came to length from your starting pitchers and their record in games where they won at least five and six. And you can't keep depending on the bullpen so long. And I know that their their bullpen was the best in baseball, but they do not look themselves. Even the bullpen doesn't look their themselves. Uh, in this series against the Astros. Oh, my God. In the sixth inning of game one, they all came in. Uh, Marcus Simeon made an error. Okay. It happens. And and, and I and I know I got a caller yesterday. Yeah, every shortstop made. Once again, you make a shortstop, come over and have to field a ball at second base. Weird stuff happens. Whatever. Guys make errors. Doesn't mean you have to go up and throw a bunch of meatballs after that. If you go watch that highlight package after Marcus makes that air from Wendelkin to Diekman, every single pitch that is hit is literally right down the middle. They're not on the corners. They're not down, in, out, up, in, and out. It's right down the middle. Go watch the highlight package. It's unbelievable. Just because your guy makes an error doesn't mean you have to then just throw up every hittable pitch. I mean, it's just, it's, it's uncanny. It's hard to explain. No one's going to have the answer either. And that's the toughest part. And trust me, that's the toughest part doing a post game show. When people call up and ask, the I don't know why, why does JB Wendelkin 
look, his stuff looks electric. Marcus makes an error, and then all of a sudden, everything flattens out, and it's right across the middle. And it becomes Rip Me City. I don't know. You bring in Deekman. The ball Brantley hit. Go look. They have when you watch that highlight package on MLB.com, they have the the K zone or whatever you want to call it up. The ball Brantley hit was belt high right down the middle. This is a guy that gave up one run on a home run. That was it. All season long. Gave up one run. He comes in in the playoffs and throws the ball right down the middle to a left-hander. And Brantley smokes it. It's uncanny. Why? I don't know. Really is hard to believe. But you know what? Today, you've got nothing to lose. By the way, have I have, have I given my uh, opinion yet on Lazardo? We uh, just talked for a half hour straight. Have I given? No, you didn't mention that yet. So that's a good thing to save. Uh... Yeah, I actually have an I, I, and I came up with this while I was on KMBR last night. Of why? Because I'm on record. I was started Montas. That that's me. I would have started Frankie. Frankie looked good in his last start. Frankie looked good when he came in relief. He's got his rhythm back. He's more of a veteran guy. But it was last night on KMBR where I went, you know what? I kind of like this idea. So should I go with it or do we who do we have? We have Fossey coming up? Yeah, and he'll call us, so you'll hear him come on, but yeah, maybe bring that up with Foss and see what he has to say about it. Because he's a guy okay, that. Okay, then I'll, I'll quickly give it to you. One of the problems that the A's have had over the years is you don't have the front line starter. You don't have that guy. As we've talked about many times, you don't have Justin Verlander. Now, with, with this losing in the playoffs, you did have that because you had Hudson Mulder and Zito, which every one of those guys was a Cy Young-type guy. So you had those arms and still didn't win. So uh, I, we're talking about recent years, modern-day times. And I'm trying to look at the list of uh, – because I got the <clears throat> list somewhere of all the guys that the A's have had that they've started in these game ones where they have lost. I will find that for you. Uh, Ray Fossey is here now. Ray, how are you? Are, are you at the ballpark yet? Where, what, what are you doing? Where are you? I'm in my office at the park, and I'm listening to you on the way in, or when you got on, I'm thinking, man, Tony, somebody put a net out for you. <laughs> <laughs> man, alive. Oh, no, but I mean, you're spot on everything you're saying. How you doing, by the way? You, Cody, how you doing? I mean, I mean, you're, you're joining Tony and all this stuff, but uh, everybody good to wherever you are. Yeah. Let, Cody, how are you? I mean, you know, Co- Cody's been down at the beach. He's got a suntan. <laughs> uh, Cody, how are you? You know, as, as Ray and I are grinding here in the postseason <laughs> and you're a baby beauty down at Pismo Beach. Uh, Cody, how are you? I, your life's really stressed. Well, I'm great now. You know, I'm 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 home and and uh, back, it's it's weird being in this apartment with nobody here. 
no dog, no no significant other. It's just it's very empty, and it's just it's very empty watching these last two postseason games too. Like I, I've been looking forward to it, and it just seems like I, you know, it, Ray, as we were talking, it's just they look like a completely different team this round than they than they yeah. do in the regular season. I just don't understand it. Well, you know, unfortunately, guys, when, when things happen in postseason and, you know, let, let's do one thing and go back and Cody, maybe while we're discussing this, I can't think of the exact time when it changed. But I know when I played, uh, it was a five game league championship series. So essentially we won the Western Division. We played the Orioles from the Eastern and then we played in the World Series. And that was what I did. Now, I remember broadcasting in 89. I want I think it was similar to that where uh, it was um, the league championship series, maybe seven. I don't remember exactly. And then the World Series. But, you know, right now there's so many with the wild card expanded now to three. Uh, and then the division series, which is five. The league championship series, seven. The World Series, seven. And so every series can change from one to the other. And, of course, they can change the roster from one to the other. But, you know, the bottom line, if you have, and I agree with you, because just watching how lethargic it seems that the team is, now sometimes the opposing pitcher would, will make that happen. But in the case yesterday of Valdez, it, it was pretty obvious he was throwing a lot of curveballs. And I compared it kind of to a knuckleball pitcher. If it's down low, let it go. Because if you see the spin of the curveball, it's going to break out of the strike zone. There were some ace hitters who were swinging at curveballs that ended up with Maldonado catching the ball basically with his glove on the ground. And you can't do that. And you, you put him in a hole, then maybe he'll throw a fastball. Now, he did hang a curveball to Chris Davis. Uh, surprisingly, he threw a 2-1 fastball to Pender. It looked like a fastball in a way that he almost completely hit, uh, hit out of Dodger Stadium. But, you know, by and large, when he got the count, even 0-2, he didn't waste a pitch. He went right after the hitter with a curveball, and he made some good pitches and froze some of the guys but it, it was just, it, it, again, it's not like it's something new. Scouting reports are out there. Again, Adam Roden knows. Uh, uh, Darren Bush, the A's hitting coach, knows. Uh, the A's faced Valdez in the regular season, and they knew that he's going to be throwing a lot of curveballs. I give a lot of credit to Maldonado, his catcher, because if, if one thing happened during the game, I don't ever remember seeing Valdez shaking one time during that game, and he should not. I don't think any of these young pitchers should shake a veteran catcher like Maldonado. And, and I think that makes them better because of that. And I kind of compare it to uh, uh, Benji Molina when he caught, um, uh, I, 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 I just lost his name. Um, but when he's with the Angels, I'll think of it in a moment, but he came up a lot of 3-1 sliders and he kept throwing them, kept throwing them because he said, you know, basically if my catcher believes I can do it, I'm going to do it. I think that's what's happening with the catcher, Maldonado. And that's probably why he's going to catch every game of postseason. There's no reason not to because he is the best. And, and the Nationals basically are carrying three catchers. But, you know, if you don't put a runner in scoring position at all, all day, I mean, the two home runs were solo. And after that, it was pretty much it. Piscotty tried to get in the scoring position with the, the wild pitch that unfortunately ended up too close to Maldonado and threw him out of second base. But, you know, that was it. But, you know, it, it, it is a different team. And I, I can say that going from series to series, it might change for a few players, but not an entire team. And, and I just and I, I kind of agree with you, Tony, that that it's it's the point that it it's a different type of team and what team what you and Cody have talked about that 
what we saw during the regular season. I, I think the A's were so set, and, and really they were trying their best, and they did it, and that is win the Western Division. Okay, you won it. Now you've got to go where it really matters in postseason. And, and I think that's something that we saw with the comeback against the White Sox. And I'm not saying that the A's are done. I, I think they're going to make a, a series out of this. Game three is pivotal. And, Tata, you were talking about some teams that had two, two or nothing leads. The A's had that at, uh, at least one time that I can remember that against the Yankees, they were down, was it two games to nothing? or And, and they came back and, and swept the A's in three. So, I mean, you know, it does happen, but you have to get some offense. You have to get some pitching. And basically today, tomorrow, and hopefully Friday, all three days, all hands on deck and everybody has to do their job. But we've talked about this all season. If you don't hit, it puts a lot of pressure on the pitcher or pitchers. And, man, it, it makes every pitch crucial. And uh, Tony could not agree with you more uh, on, on what happened when Simeon made the error. Yes, errors happened. It wasn't a mental error. It was a physical error. But your pitcher has to make quality pitches following that. When Delkin did not, Deekman did not. And as a result, four runs were scored. Uh, and that, that changed the entire ball game because the A's were having some fun at that time. But after those four runs unearned, it changed everything. And we saw it yesterday. And hopefully we'll not see it today. Ray, I can't speak about your World Series teams. I was born in 1972, so I didn't get to see it. And I don't know if you guys are a great example because you guys were fighting each other before the World Series. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but when you guys were playing and you guys were winning, what was you like? Like, how did you guys interact? I mean, being serious, because these guys, they look tight. They don't look like they're having fun. You look at these other teams. I know baseball's changed from the 70s to now, but I mean, even the Yankees, they're hitting home runs. They're, I mean, they're, you know, in the Rays and the Dodgers, they, they don't look like they're gripping it to where the A's always in the postseason, whether it was, you name it, 18, 19, this year, this group of players, they look like they're gripping it. What, what did you guys look like back then when you were interacting with each other? Well, it's funny you say that, Tony, because, you know, we, and you said you said fighting. And I remember the late Ron Bergman and Jim Street were our two beat writers. They were with us all season, unlike now where you have a whole bunch of beat writers that travel and get different stories and things like that. We essentially did the same thing during the season that we did in postseason, except in postseason we had all these people from all over the country and World Series all over the world. Hey, these guys are fighting. We didn't do anything any differently in the postseason that we did during the regular season. But, you know, I think one of the things, um, you, you know, and, and obviously this season with the coronavirus, uh, I, th I think Mickey Morbido, and, man, what, what a job he has done all season. He's director of team travel, uh, you know, to, to make all the arrangements. We talked about that. But, you know, having – I think there are four buses that, that have to be scheduled so the players can have this social distancing on the bus and, and all these kind of things. We had one bus, County. One bus that went from the hotel to the park, and I'll never forget. And and believe me, guys didn't go to the park five hours before the game. Which now, it, you you know, they're, they're saying, well, you can't be at the park any earlier than five five hours. We're lucky to be there two and a half hours before the game because we're saying, what what do we need to do? You know, but we, but we would be on that bus together. And I remember specifically, we're going into Baltimore. I think it was seventy four, and it was a one to one uh, series, uh, one one game apiece. It was a five game league championship. And we, so from the hotel to the, to the park, we started getting on each other. I mean, just back and forth banter, getting on 
uh, like Phil Garner said yesterday, Herb Washington and, and uh, you know, Blue Moon and Sal and, and, and you know, just kind of everybody getting on everybody. And I remember, I don't know who, I, maybe I said, look at Orioles, here they come. Because it, it was like, okay, what, what happened on that bus got us motivated, got us riled up a little bit and had fun. Because once we got into that clubhouse, put on the uniform across the white line, we were all serious. But we had our fun on that bus ride, on, on the road especially. But we, when we were at the park, I mean, it, it was business, but it was a fun business. It's a confidence thing, Townie. And I, I think the confidence, and I, I see that in the, in the Astros because they've been there. They're trying to do something, what, go to the league championship fourth consecutive year with the same type of team or same group of players. And so they know what it's like. Experience, you can never beat experience in, in a postseason. I think that's what Mike Miner, um, he's had a little postseason experience, but he's a veteran. He knows what it's like. He doesn't get rattled. And I think sometimes a young player, when there's a little bit of adversity, maybe an error happens and you go, oh, I, I've got to take care of this myself. And that changes everything that you're doing. You can't let that happen. You have to say, okay, it's my game. I'm going to take care of this. But I think that's where you have some veteran leadership. And, and, and I'll admit, when, when the A's were together, this was prior to free agency. So everybody stayed together, which I think helps. Because now you start looking at who's going to be a free agent. But to answer your question, we were loose. We got on each other. We, we, had, we had a time touting in, in uh, Milwaukee. And Kenny Holtzman, we were required to wear a sports jacket. And Kenny Holtzman wore this Colombo jacket. I mean, it was like a, a three-quarter inch trench coat. And he wore that every trip. That was his idea of a sports jacket. Well, we were back at the bus in, in uh, Milwaukee. And it was one of those uh, city buses where you get on and, and pay your fare and go to the next stop. That's, that's the way we took the bus from the airport to the ballpark. And we were about four of us in the back. And, and Kenny's jacket was laying on the seat. And we, three or four of us looked at each other. We kind of nodded. And it was like a passing, passing of the football or baseball because one picked it up, passed it to the other, passed it to the other, passed it to the other, threw it out the window. And here's, here's Kenny Holtzman's jacket in, on a street in Milwaukee. We're saying, we're tired of looking at that. And, you know, we just laughed and had so much fun. And then there was another case where uh, we were in, in Dallas, Texas, going to play the Rangers. And uh, Blue Moon Odom's getting on Sal Bando. And uh, Sal stood up and said, Moon, that's enough. And he kept getting on him. And, and finally, Sal went back to his seat and stared right at him. Those veins started popping. I went, uh-oh, look out, Mooney. The captain's upset because when those veins in his neck started popping out, he was serious. And he said, Mooney, I said, shut up. And he shut up. So, I mean, but it was, it was kind of fun. And, and it was, you know, by the time we got to park and put the uniform on, Tony, the one thing I could say is that we played the game the right way. We had fun doing it. We came to the park every day expecting to win. And, and, and the last thing I'll say about a team and a team of players, remember 1974 before game one of the World Series between the A's and the Dodgers, we had flown in from Baltimore. We had an off day in what is now a clubhouse in Los Angeles that's used for all the computers and the uh, analytical people. But we were in there, and Blue Moon Odom and Raleigh Fingers got into a fight the day before the first game of the World Series. And the clubby said, I've been in baseball my whole life. I've never seen before game one of a World Series, two guys fighting. They literally were fighting. And then winning this World Series in five games at the Coliseum in the arena, between the arena and the Coliseum, I was on the dais with the, um, doing a like interview after we won the World Series. 
And below me, sitting down, waiting to be interviewed, are Raleigh Fingers and John Blue Moon Odom with their arms around each other. And I said, isn't that something that we could go They were fighting in the clubhouse in Los Angeles? Here they are, world champions, and they're best of friends. So it was kind of, yeah, we, we mixed it up a little bit, but we knew how to play the game. We played and had fun. And, you know, if, if we wanted to get motivated, man, we, we got on each other on the bus. And I think some of that is missing now because people have their telephones, their cell phones, uh, playing games, uh, reading messages, reading, doing whatever. And so you don't have that, that bank, bantering back and forth that maybe in the past some teams have had. But I think the experience makes a big difference, which I'm seeing in the Astros. And what Jake Lamb said, have fun. They should have been having fun all the time. This is the time, what is it right now? There are eight teams left in, in, in baseball. I mean, you're one of eight teams. And I, correct, let's see, two, four, three, yeah, eight teams playing the division. And you're going to have a league championship and World Series. You're one of eight. There are 22 teams at home. I mean, this is the time to say, hey, we're good. You know, let's show the world that we're good. And I think that's what is missing. And hopefully today they can come out. Starting pitching makes a huge difference. And let's hope that can go forward in helping the A's win this game. And that could change everything from the A's standpoint. All right. I got a theory about today. I don't know if you're going to agree with this. I came up with it last night um, because I'm on record saying that if it was me, I would start Frankie Montas. The way he yep, pitched I agree. the last game, uh, the way he pitched the last the last game of the season, I think he's back in rhythm. He looks more like himself. But I, I thought about this. All right, it's going to be very. It's hard to come back from 0-2. I mean, history just says it's very Don't hard. Forget, forget about it, Tony. This is the time you throw history out the window. I heard the numbers. I heard the statistics. I heard all the percentages. Forget about them because you don't want somebody to think, "Oh, this is going to be an uphill battle." It's going to be. But don't put it in the minds of the players. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. Okay. So, no, I totally agree with you. I'm just thinking like – I'm trying to think like a front office person because I normally don't think like a front office person. So, yeah. uh, the one thing the A's have lacked recently as, you know, I can just tell you looking at the guys who have started uh, recently game one, when you look at guys, you know, whether you're talking about a Jared Parker or a Bartolo Colon or a Chris Bassett or a Shamanaya, you haven't had that true like stud ace. Um, starting Lazardo today, no matter what happens, he's now going to have, as he just turned 23 years old, he's going to have the experience of pitching in a wild card game, starting yep. game one of the series and now starting in an elimination game. So whatever happens today, hopefully a win, and you keep this thing going. But if you don't, this core is still going to be good. These are still going to have a shot at the postseason next year. But you're now kind of training your young stud to be an ace, and that's why you start him today. I can agree with that, but I think Frankie Montas is a young stud as well. So, you know, to your point, and, and I think we talked about Frankie, the good thing about Frankie Montas, he can come out of the bullpen. And I know before you say it, so can Jesus Lazardo. They have both proven they could come out of the bullpen. And so I think it's going to be a short leash. And I think the biggest thing for Jesus Lazardo is to have remembered what happened in game one against the White Sox. He was amped up. He overthrew some fastballs. You can't do it. I mean, uh, you, you look at somebody who has less of a fastball velocity-wise and look how they can pinpoint with the control. And I have liked the home plate umpires in the first two games of the series because both of them have been very pitcher friendly 
which I think is a plus. If, if you're a pitcher and a catcher, you can see the direction in which the umpire behind the plate is going when he calls the game, balls and strikes. But I, I, I agree with you. The experience is there. However, how much, uh, you, you know, you, you want to start winning. And, you know, granted, they took the big step in winning a wild card series, which turned out to be three games. The A's would have had a buy in that. They would have gone straight into the league uh, division series as they are right now, but they had to win two out of three. So that put some pressure, the elimination games twice there to be able to say, okay, we did it. Now they're faced again with that same thing. I, I don't think you want to say, okay, well, well, we'll give up on this year and then we'll get them next year and go to postseason. I believe strongly like you that the A's are going to be in postseason, but because of free agency, you're going to start to lose key players. Uh, certain players are going to go elsewhere because of the success they have had in their capacities, whether it be a pitcher, position player, closer, uh, those things are going to happen. You were talking earlier about the, I think, 2001 Oakland A's that, you know, just phenomenal numbers for, uh, you know, a lot of the players, um, I think is 01. And someone said that if that team had stayed together, it would have cost the A's organization annually over $200 million because of the money they got as they went on to become free agents. And it's, you know, you can't do that. Uh, I mean, it's it's prohibitive to think that you could spend that kind of money when you're not drawing. This club has never drawn three million people. Clubs like the Yankees who have done it, they have a big TV contract. They draw a lot of people. And Jason Giambi went there. Uh, Johnny Damon went to the Red Sox. Uh, you know, you go on and on some of the players where they went and the money they got. And now you factor that in. So I, I think what you have is a good core group of guys, and especially on the pitcher side, who can learn by experience so as they go forward hopefully they can be signed and bypass some of the arbitration free agency if they're that good which i think they are and then be able to say okay we have the experience going forward to the point that we can be in postseason and it's going to happen but the more they play together the more they have fun together and the more they realize that they're confident they have the experience i think they're going to win but uh, i i think jesus lazardo I wouldn't put him in a catfish hunter, Kenny Holtzman, personally, because those two guys were veterans. They knew how to pitch, and, you know, it, it showed in their performance in postseason. But I think Lazardo, Montas, just to name a couple, have a chance to be exactly that. But I think today, in the case of Lazardo starting, you're going to have a short leash, and that's what Bob Melvin and Scott Emerson have to be thinking about. Um, they have to be thinking about, okay, if he struggles – if he overthrows a fastball like he did to Abreu, uh, when Engel hit the home run on 0-2 fastball, you know, you can't make mistakes with power hitters. And we have seen in the first two games, the Astros, especially in Los Angeles, uh, know how to hit home runs. By the way, did you see the sign? It said the Springer Stadium in Los Angeles. There was the sign. Because <laughs> he has hit home runs from 17, you know, the World Series. And then, of course, in this series and, and what he's done, He's been unbelievable. They changed the name of the stadium to Springer Stadium. I mean, it's a joke, obviously. But but the Astros are confident. And I think that's the biggest thing that the A's have to try to overcome is the confidence. And a win today will loosen some of that confidence maybe of the Astros, although they'll still have the upper hand. But I think the A's will gain a lot of confidence themselves if they can win this game today and take it to game four. Yeah, he has an RBI at Dodger Stadium in his last 10 games. At least one RBI. That's never happened in the history of baseball. One player, one part. 
His last 10 well, games, I, postseason, yeah. regular season, whatever, he's got an RBI. I, I want to throw – did you watch the Yankee game, Yankee and Rays game last night? No, I was spending time with my lovely wife, Carol, so no, I did not get a chance. Although she she talked about watching in a bit. I wish she was shocked, but uh, I did not. You, you mentioned there was a – they got a huge call to play. What, what oh, was the play? I didn't right, see. Right, right, right. This call truly changed the game. So the Yankees are starting to mount. So Pete Fairbanks is, you know, it doesn't have a save all season. Now Cash, Cash, uh, uh, Cashy, who is uh, a, a good friend of uh, of Cody's, uh, he's now he's now bringing this guy Pete Fairbanks. He's like a double Tommy John guy, blows a hundred. This guy can't find the strike zone. He walks Urshela. He walks Torres. And then against Clint Frazier, if you go to MLB.com and you can look at where the pitches were, this guy throws, it's his sixth pitch. It's so high and outside. It's nowhere even near the box. They call it a strike. It should have been ball four. You now would have had bases loaded, nobody Hmm. out, but the umpire ends up calling a strike. The the Yankees bench just goes ballistic, and they they had every right to. In the end, it turns out to be a strikeout, and it changed the game. Wow. I mean, wow. think about this. Two runners on and a strikeout and one out versus bases loaded, yeah. nobody out, and this guy can't This guy can't buy a strike. They already got a guy warming up in the bullpen. It's amazing how one call can yeah. truly change the outcome of a game. Tony, I, I, I've seen it, and I know exactly what you're talking about, especially – that was a 3-0 count when that pitch occurred. Uh, if it was, he, no, I think it was. I think it was three-one. Okay. Well, but but the bottom line, sometimes there there are things that are automatic, and that's what was impressive about Valdez yesterday. And I don't know if Maldonado told the umpire. He said, "Don't assume it's going to be a waste pitch 0-2." And he struck out a couple of batters yesterday. Valdez did 0-2 curveballs, but you know it it is amazing how one play can change everything and. It just seems to give the pitcher the confidence saying, okay, thank you very much. I'll take it. And then gets him back in the groove. I've seen it so often, especially on a 3-0, where a hitter starts going to first base and a pitch is not even close. It's called a strike. And then it gets the pitcher back in the groove and that hitter makes out. And then he gets the pitcher, finds himself back where he wants to be. But uh, it, it happens. And, uh, you know, the Rays are good. But the Yankees are really good, and they're healthy, and, and that's why uh, it's going to be hard for the Rays to beat them. And, and I think especially now, because of the way the division series is set up, just like the A's now, today will be the visiting team uh, against the Astros. They won't change clubhouses, or I don't know what they're going to do with the uniforms, but uh, it, it changes the next two games. And then the same for, uh, for the Yankees and, and Rays. So, you know, things like that, today would be a travel day, be an all- and the A's would be traveling to Houston after yesterday's game. But that's not happening. They're staying in Los Angeles, and and the Yankees are are staying at Petco Park. So, you know, things have changed because of this, but it does not mean that the umpires can't make the calls the correct way. In the case you're talking about, it obviously changed the game, turned it around for the Rays to help them win and even the series at one game apiece. All right, Ray. I will talk to you in A's total access, my friend. Do you feel better, Townie? No. Hey, by the way, what time did you get up to interview the commissioner? 
I was up at uh, 6.50. Wow. Well, Cody had already been up an hour and a half, right, Cody? Pretty much, yeah. I don't ever sleep, <laughs> Ray. And uh, real quick, because you asked earlier, it was 1995 was the first year of the uh, League Division Series. Okay, so there it is. So that's 95. So the A's went through the 89 with uh, – was it a seven or five game in 89? Uh, that was against... 88, 89, 90. Those years was – because um, I know the A's won all three of American League champions during that time. But, then, but you know, you, you think back to the time, Tony, when your grandfather played, it was the American League versus the National League World Series yeah. is over October 10th. You know? And, and then all of a sudden you change the whole month of October. Now with expanded playoffs and no off days. And, you know, it, it's just everything because of the COVID and all that stuff this year. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it does make a big difference because I've seen players just be unbelievable one series and one off day between one series and next series. And all of a sudden they get cold. I think a lot of that is scouting. And I think a lot of that this year will change because there's not scouting that takes place. It's all on television because scouts, nobody's allowed in the stands to be able to scout these players like they normally do and, and pick up certain things that help them overcome maybe some of the success that a player might've had in the previous series, but uh, we'll see how it changes as, as the playoffs go forward. But uh, but, uh, Cody, you got all the information. Appreciate that. And, Tony, I'm glad you got up early, put your sweats on. And I can't wait to hear the uh, commissioner's interview and, uh, you know, find out what you ask him and uh, some of the, the questions. But uh, I called Phil Garner after our conversation yesterday. He enjoyed the time that we had together. And uh, he's a good man. And I uh, just want to let you know that he was appreciative of having the opportunity to be on prior to that game. Hey, Ray, you know what they didn't have in 1948 when my grandfather played in the World Series against the Indians? <laughs> What's that? Television money. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, postseason share, what, 10000 maybe? Yeah, I mean, seriously. Like, how I mean, how dumb is that to only play? Uh, you win the National League, you win the American League, and you two play, and then the season's over. It's like... Uh, expanded playoffs means more television money. Yeah, they didn't have oh, yeah, that. Yeah. That was a bad idea. Well, even even in my first two years and winning the World Series, our our checks were twenty two and twenty four thousand, and now it's three hundred fifty thousand for the World Series winner. And and you know, if if you win the World Series today, and they have those shares meetings, they have a list of players. You know, if you've been there a certain amount of time, it's automatic full share, and then you vote on the coaches, the manager, trainer, and the traveling secretary you know, kind of automatic. You should be looking at who can we help out? And I remember Jamie Quirk, whenever he was with the A's, he bought a house in Kansas City. He said, thank you, Mr. Haas, because they went to the World Series three years in a row and Jamie got full shares. And, you know, these guys took that money and, and turned it into a house. In the case of Jamie, I know Tim Flannery, after the Giants won the World Series in 10, 12, and 14, he said, I'm out of here. I mean, you think about winning the World Series in today's world as a coach, and, and the money you're making for the season, and now you get the postseason money for, for your team playing a month, you're out there helping, doing whatever you can, because that's why – and I agree with what you said earlier, too. And I know you've got probably other guests, but I, I do want to comment about what you said about you can't blame the manager, the coaching staff, because one of the things I wanted to talk to Phil about yesterday, and we ran out of time, but as a player, you can control your destiny because you're a player. When you're a manager or a coach, you're on the sideline, you can lead those players out to play. You can't play for them. You have to hope they play. And that's why the coaches should never be blamed for anything because they've done everything they can 
to plan or, or help the players plan for that game or the series. And then it's up to the players to do that. So it's never, ever on the coaching staff as far as I'm concerned and definitely not on the manager. Ray, you are the best, my friend. We'll talk in a couple hours. Look forward to it, buddy. Take care, Cody. The great Ray Fossey. Coming up next, we'll talk to Doug Glanville. A lot to get into. It's do or die, baby. What team's coming out today? The team with an edge? The team that's coming out to win? That's what we hope. We'll talk to Doug Glanville's what? ESPN, The Athletic. Uh, he's a professor at Connecticut. He's really one of the most interesting guys in the game of baseball. We got him next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. You know, we talked about earlier about getting up early for the commish this morning. We'll always get up early for Doug Glanville. Uh, this guy, you see him on ESPN. He writes for The Athletic. He also does TV around the Cubs. He's a professor at the University of Connecticut. He's an Ivy League guy. He literally is the most interesting man in baseball. Really, really smart. When you read his stuff on The Athletic, you know uh, he's a really bright guy. And it's always great to have him on the program. Uh, played for years. Uh, biggest years were in Philly, but he was with the Cubs from 96 to 97. Uh, Phillies from 98 to 2002. Then the Rangers, Cubs, and then ended his career back in Philadelphia. Here is my conversation with Doug Glanville on A's Cast Live. Well, it's Elimination Day here on A's Cast Live. Doug, thank you so much for taking the time. We always appreciate it. Yeah, you know, you gotta, you don't want to start off coining it Elimination Day. You know, you got to come up with a different how. This is like comeback day or turn it around day, win three day type of thing. You know, we got, you know, sort of positive thoughts for the A's community out there. I, I, I love it. Keep going. I, we, we need some positivity <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you, you still have a fantastic bullpen. You just got to get it on track. And, and uh, look, the Astros have found ways to get those bats awakened. So, uh, you know, timely hitting and, and all the things that are the formula for success in the postseason. But, you know, A's have a good team. You know, they, they just got to dig in, and try to get back on uh, on the rhythm they need. But uh, right so far, they're, they're going to have to climb out of a hole. You know, it's so interesting how we view it as the media and fans and we live and die every pitch and we panic and maybe we, we, we get too overjoyed when we win. As a professional athlete, you really do have to play game by game, pitch by pitch, day by day, because if you are the A's right now, if you can win today, that really starts to change things because then you have, okay, you win Thursday and then all of a sudden it's now tied 2-2, you get it to a fifth game. What is it like as a professional athlete where you really just has, you have to keep it day by day, pitch by pitch? Well, you really have to. And part of it is, you know, even in the bigger picture, you're saying, all right, we've won three days in a row before. I'm sure the A's won three games in a row. So it's not you know, insurmountable. And, you know, we used to say if, as a hitter, if you're struggling, say when a guy's really pressing to get out of a slump, 
saying we're trying to get five hits and one at bat. You know, you have to find ways to break things into small pieces in a long season to get that perspective. And it's been reinforced throughout your entire career. And that even keelness, the ability to, you know, say, okay, well, you know, it's a, it's a game of tomorrows, you know, you have, until you run out of them. And any moment you have, anytime you have one pitch left, one out left, you still have an opportunity. So, uh, and, that, and the thing is, it's been reinforced throughout your life. I, I was fortunate I'm 14 plus seasons like minor leagues. And, you know, it's been reinforced a lot in moments. I remember we were uh, losing by quite a few runs in the bottom of the ninth inning in double A guy had a tech swing rolling to the first baseman all he had to do is pick up the ball and step on the first base he picks it up and nobody even touched him and just when he was about to put his foot on first he dropped the ball and kicked it foul and we're like oh we're still down five nothing and we ended up scoring six runs <laughs> on with two outs bottom of the ninth inning so you know you see that enough every day some swing moment then you say you know what you know we're never really down and out until literally the final outs recorded you know, you really see the confidence in certain teams and not in other teams when you're watching the postseason, and especially this postseason since we have we have more teams. So, like when you're watching, let's just say the Padres last night versus the Rays. You know, I mean, you, there's certain teams where you see confidence, and there's certain teams where you don't see confidence. Uh, explain that to, to the audience where. You know, certain teams have that it factor and certain teams don't. Well, and there's no doubt about it because, you know, I think about going back to playing against some of the juggernaut Yankees teams. And you know, what you realize is playing, even when you're last place, you know, we have some tough years in Philadelphia, you play against these top teams. Most of those games are actually pretty close. I mean, the majority of the games are like, okay, it's 2-2 in the fifth. We're right here. But then there's that moment that sort of defines teams and separates teams. And it's whether they capitalize on that extra mistake, you know, Marcus Simeon makes an error, the Astros rattle off four runs, you know, things like that. Teams that win consistently find those cracks in, in the, in the door, right. And they kick it open from there. And because everybody's pretty good, right. We're all like top picks and top players in their college days and all these things, right. Everybody has great resumes no matter if you take the worst team in baseball or the best. It's just a matter of your team culture, your ability to find success, opportunity, all those things coming together, leadership. And I think teams that figure out ways to tap the best of it and that best side of those opportunities, they tend to gain that confidence. And then it just compounds itself. What do you think it's like for the Houston Astros in a standpoint that they struggled this year? Obviously, mentally, it's been a grind, and they've been very fortunate. And I, I even hate to say this, but if there is any anybody that's benefited from COVID nineteen, it is the Houston Astros because they were worn out in spring training, and then the pandemic hits, and then they don't have to play in front of fans. Who knows what that season would have been like in front of fans? And so, even without fans and everybody just cardboard cutouts, they struggled. But right now. They've kind of found their way, and they're kind of back. And we know how talented the actual roster is. What is that like, do you think, for a team that struggled and all of a sudden the light just turns on, and that's kind of where the Astros are right now? So true. I mean, there's no question that the fans are part of the justice system in, in, in baseball. You know, they 
they would have had their say, and I don't think it would have relented, and I still don't think it will for really the entire career of these players. There, there's just that much uh, frustration, animosity, tension, uh, unresolved feelings, all those things that kind of come to it. And because they're not playing in front of fans, on the road, certainly, they would have had a really tough time. And, and as human beings, they would have, it's stressful. It's hard to perform and produce under that kind of tension with the, the, the threat that they felt. And so not being out there, I mean, yes, they, they do miss their support, too, of the other 81 games, but still on the road. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen, you know, when J.D. Drew signed and uh, skipped over Philadelphia and went to St. Louis and then played in Philly. I mean, you know, they were, they were throwing chicken wings at them and whatever. So, you know, it's it's a you – know, so, that was what I found in the outfield when I went out there. So. But, um, no, there's, there's no doubt that they've been able to benefit. And, and also just getting perspective, all of us being thankful to be able to have the sport and recognizing there's, there's sort of bigger issues in the world. There's no doubt that they've been able to benefit. And then you have Dusty Baker, who is the kind of right man, right spot, who's positive and knows how to, you know, talk about forgiveness and moving on and the things he's went through in his life. He's, uh, he's probably the right right man for that type of job because he's now getting them to believe in what they really you know, had in them already. 2019, they're one of the best offensive teams of all time. That's how good they were. And um, you know, so now they're just kind of finding it. And they have some young pitchers that have kind of found ways to step it up without Verlander, Cole, and now Grinke, who's you know, been a question mark. So, yeah, you got to watch out for those guys. Yeah, how shocked are you about this? Grinky's arm doesn't feel well. He's supposed to be the ace. You know, we talk about, is he a future Hall of Famer? Has he done enough? And then, you know, he, he pitches the four innings against Minnesota and only gives up one run, but Dusty took him out. And now, you know, we've talked to the broadcast teams of this series and they get to have that, you know, their one-on-ones with Dusty and Dusty's not real high on Grinky. Just how shocked are you about how this guy who is supposed to be so good and has had a, a, a tremendous career is just, we have no idea if he's even going to pitch in this series. Yeah. Kind of mysterious what's happening there. And, but the thing that was so amazing is as I was kind of doing my research for covering it last night, I realized like, wait a minute, Zach Grinke actually has the highest ERA of their rotation. I had to let that marinate for a second. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, so these young guys, you know, have kind of figured out ways to to execute. You know, and I know hitting has been down overall uh, for across baseball, but those guys have pitched pretty well in in light of losing Verlander, losing Cole to free agency, and now Granky. So, uh, in in some ways, he was some the weakest link in terms of statistically. I mean, he didn't walk anybody. So they 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 can play well and they can do enough if their pitching holds up. And now that you know Springer and they found some swagger, they're they're just going to be a force to be reckoned with. So the A's, you know, they just have to, you know, take advantage of the fact they have they have a bullpen that can stretch a game, and they can you know they can start closing out games in the fourth inning. I mean, that's how deep they are. So they they need to find their rhythm and then get that timely hitting they need, and uh, they can get themselves back into this. I mean, there is a shot. So uh, taking a two zero lead. A team has won 73 of 83, which is 88% of the time. But the most recent team to rally back, the Yankees against the Indians in 2017. So 
there is a chance. I mean, that's the number one thing you have to look at, right? I mean, there is there is a chance you can come back. Right. I mean, and you also have to look at just 2020 is off the rails. I mean, anything anything is possible. Uh, 20, you know, you have teams, you know, 29 and 31 in the postseason. You have, I mean, all kinds of unexpected uh, realities. So we, you know, we know it's literally day to day, or if not hour to hour. And the A's are just talented. They've just had a they had a good year, and they have a good team. So any good team can put together three wins in a row. So they they just have to play it out. And w- once you win one, you're like, okay, two more. You just and that's it. And that's the mentality. Uh, and I think 2020 affords your opportunity to really think that way because, you know, everybody's not sure what tomorrow's going to bring. What do you think it is like for these teams to be playing at these neutral sites in front of no fans? It, it, does it give anybody an advantage? I imagine it cuts into the home field advantage from a from a fan standpoint, a support standpoint. You still have last licks, so to speak, but but the fact that you don't have that same feeling, I don't care how much you pump it through the sound system. It's just not that, that extra something. And the fans truly are like the, the, the tenth player. They, they come out and they make a difference. They're inspiring and you have the crescendos. And, and in this case, you know, you'd have a lot of the booze or whatever, just put extra pressure on the visiting team. And I think that is a, a real X factor here that we, we uh, appreciate when it's gone. And there's no doubt that, Oakland and other teams that are trying to scrap back would, would love that kind of support. So for now it's social media, it's other ways, but but that's not the same of going out there, signing autographs before a game and a fan saying, Hey, you know, I followed you since you were, you know, 12 and, you know, I have a a teddy bear and they named him after you, my dog or whatever, you know? So, you know, you just have these, like, not just the bigness of fans, but the individuality that experience is also missed. I mean, just being at the park and storytelling, and you know, so there's that, that's a big difference. That's a that's a big loss uh, uh, for the advantage of home field. So you just have to rely on strategically taking advantage of you get the last at bat and, and make the most of it. All right, let's end on this. There's eight teams left. If you had to buy stock in one team, who would you buy it? In? <laughs> well, I, I got to stick to my wild predictions that I wanted to erase every other day, but I picked the Rays. And, um, you know, I, I, going into the season, I picked the Rays, and my whole argument was a little bit money ballish, but they are the kings of, of small sample size. And, and they, they do such a good job of matching up and being this, like, single organism, whereas someone would say the sum of the parts actually exceeds the whole. They just have a, they have a way of doing that. And this is the right kind of season because by the time you figure out what the heck they're doing, They've kind of moved on <laughs> to, to, to like the next move, and uh, and you just watch it how they just get the matchups that they need. I mean, they have a guy. Oh, we need a left-handed sinker baller for Wednesdays on AstroTurf when there's a solar eclipse. Okay, we have a guy for that. Like that's that's how they roll. Um, so they are just totally a Swiss Army knife, and I think teams have just had a lot of trouble scouting against them. And, and because of the short seasons, the short series, it's been harder. Now, where they might be a little harder is in that seven game because now you just have a more sort of body of work to work off of. But they're, they're just dangerous. They were poised to be dangerous this season because of that. And, and they certainly have the arms to, um, to shut people down no matter who you are. So let's end on this. So my wife's a first-grade teacher, and she's been doing uh, 
uh, virtual learning with her first graders on Zoom. H how are things going with your college students? <laughs> yeah, they're they're used to it. They um, last semester was when the first time we went uh, online mid year, so we, we kind of got a, a good rhythm. And you know they you know they're dealing with a lot of other stuff necessary outside of class. There's obviously other stresses, but you know they they've embraced it pretty well. I think the the thing I'm looking at online for kids. Uh, and I am the vice principal of this sort of virtual school. My wife is the principal. And uh, I've attempted to fire myself and resign at least 13 times. Uh, but then I realized I can't because I'm, the school, you know, the school is sort of what I'm required to do. Uh, so they've uh, embraced it. My wife's been just a total trooper through it. And we, uh, we, we tag team. I have like at least 35 to 45 new apps on my phone for all my kids, uh, you know, things that they need online. So I'm just trying to embrace the madness, you know, and and uh, I think that's way more challenging than my University of Connecticut student <laughs> by far. Well, I'll tell you this, Dos Equis used to have the most interesting man. Uh, if we did the most interesting man in baseball, uh, you've got my vote. There's no question about it. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, man. I, I, I always keep moving, you know, I, and uh, I appreciate that. I've been able to find this life after baseball. You never know how it's going when you've done something you've loved all your life. But now I've found this uh, new way to engage baseball and, and bring it to all kind of wildness from homeschool to, to professors to whatever. So uh, I'm thankful for that for sure. Hey, you're the best. We always appreciate the time. And I always say this, this show gets smarter every single time you're on it. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon. All right. Appreciate it. There's no doubt about it. The man is 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 brilliant. Where where did he go to Penn? I think he went to Penn. Yeah, and he also we were going over his credentials before we played the interview. He also does a podcast with Jason Stark through the Athletic, so he's a podcaster as well. On top of everything else, he does. So he used to be a professor at one of the Ivy League schools. I don't remember which one, but now he's a professor at UConn. Can you imagine that schedule. He's like helping out with schools. He's a professor. He's on ESPN. He writes for The Athletic. He's doing the podcast with Jason Starr. <laughs> I mean, seriously. The, man, the man's a go-getter, there's no question. He was a good player, too. This is it, Cody. This is it. Tired of talking about playoff losses. I'm tired. I'm just flat-out tired. Tired of building it up and it collapsing. What are they going to do about it? All right, Mike Petriello from MLB.com, speaking of the show getting smarter, will join us here at the bottom of the hour. You're claiming you've got Jake Lamb with Susan Slusser talking about the A's not gripping it? Yeah, I have the full – it was the very first question during Jake Lamb's media availability this morning. Uh, it's about a minute – like minute 20 long, so here, I'll, I'll just play it now. So you remember, guys, we started – we we started the show talking about, hey, I'm watching these other games. These other teams are having fun. Why the hell do the A's not have fun? Here's Susan and Jake. You guys faced two potential elimination games last week. What's the mindset? What's the mood in the clubhouse going into today? Have you guys had any team meetings? What do you do in a situation like this? You know, backs against the wall, elimination game, like you said. Um, this is the time where you got to have fun and just – get rowdy in the dugout and uh yeah i mean 
essentially do whatever it takes to win. Um, so it's a really good vibe in the, in the uh, clubhouse right now, um, especially for being the early morning for what seems like the you know 10th day in a row. But um, no, we're, we're ready to go. We're fired up. How would you describe the energy level on the bench yesterday? Because the, um, at times it looks like looked like things were kind of flat, which I guess makes sense because there had been such a big momentum shift at, at one point fairly early. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's uh, that's kind of part of baseball. You know, when you're not when you're not getting those hits and they're coming through, getting those big hits, leaving the yard. Um, you know, there's going to be times where it's it's a little down in the dugout, and uh, you know that's what we got to focus on today. Um, obviously, focus on the play in the field, but for those who aren't playing, we gotta we gotta be loud and rowdy in the dugout. So, we hit the nail on the head. These guys got to – I, I don't know how you reboot, but you've got to play with that we've got nothing to lose mentality and make some freaking contact. Go up there, and when you get your pitch, rip it. Look how the Astros are playing. Look at just look at just just go back and look at the highlights of George Springer. Look how that guy's playing. That guy gets his pitch, he's not missing it. I mean, this was a team that that was under 500. They weren't a great team. But they're battle hardened. They're trying to go to the league championship series for the fourth straight year. They're not afraid. They came to fight. You? Huh? I don't know. I think you came to fight. It just doesn't look it. You don't look like the AOS champs. They do. And that's bad. That really is bad. It's a bad look. And no, and no one's hiding it. I can tell you right now. I mean, all the texts I'm getting during the, these games from buddies of mine who are A's fans. Everybody's seeing it. Does that mean everybody? It's no, it's no, you know, it's no mystery. You need to let loose. But then again, if your pitching doesn't do it for you, I think I, Ken Korak said it best yesterday. You know when you're you know when you're not hitting and you're not consistently hitting you look flat. Doesn't mean you're flat. It's just you're not hitting. And if your starters, I mean if if your starters are oh my god out of the gate. Ah, can't even get a guy through four innings. That's not it's it's a bad look. Hazus, you know this whole it's a, every all hands on deck. You know what? No. Jesus Cesardo, if you're this stuff guy and you're this guy that is supposed to be the future, you know what? Leave him out there. Let's go. Odds are you're not going to win this series anyway. Leave him out there. Let's go. Let's see what he's got. And if he gets into a little bit of a jam, let him pitch out of it. Let him learn how to pitch out of it. That's what aces do. Aces don't always go out there and have their very best stuff and throw up zeros. 
aces have to learn through to pitch through trouble. Let them pitch through trouble. Bases loaded in the third, leave them out there. If he gives up a couple runs, fine. Leave them out there. Let them battle. Let them learn how to battle. I know it's about winning today, but to me, this kid needs to learn the job. He's got the stuff, but he doesn't know how to do the job yet. We've all been there. You think when I got on my first show and I was hosting for the first time that I knew what I was doing or the ninth time or the tenth time? No, it takes years to learn how to do your job the right way. This kid has no resume. This kid needs to learn. I see this today as a learning experience. If Jesus Lazardo gets in trouble, leave him out there. Let him learn. The odds are you're not going to win this series. I hate to say it, but it is real. Let him learn. And you know what? You'll be better for it long term. And you know what? I think mentally it can't be good for teams when, what did you say the Padres used again, Cody? How many guys? Uh, they used nine pitchers for the third time this postseason. Yeah, you think that's good for the, the position players when they're saying, here's another guy and here's another guy? I don't think that's good. Mike Petriello from MLB will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. A's fans, we still need you to rep the town this postseason. You can win an A's flag by entering at athletics.com slash rep the town ALDS before midnight on Friday the 9th. That's right. Just visit athletics.com slash rep the town ALDS before midnight Friday. 50 lucky winners will be randomly selected. Show us how you rep the town all postseason with the hashtag rep the town on social media. Welcome back to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. We got Mike on the line. Mike, how are you? It's do or die here for the Oakland Athletics here in the American League Division Series. Hey, guys, how you doing? It sure is. And uh, personally, I hope they do it because I don't want to see this series end yet. I don't think anybody wants to see the Astros win this in three. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was supposed to be this unbelievable fight, right? These two teams, the reality is, they don't like each other. And the way we built this up was this isn't a traditional rivalry, right? This isn't Yankees, uh, Red Sox, Cardinals, Cubs, Ohio State, Michigan, where this is long tradition. This is not about the uniforms in the towns. This is about the actual players, the actual A's players and the actual Astros players. They really don't like each other. Obviously, what happened with the scandal and everything and to have it go down to where the A's go out in three, uh, it just wouldn't be good for baseball. Well, I mean, it would be a little bit, I guess, in the sense that you'd have the Astros move on and be everybody's favorite hate watch, you know, so that could be kind of fun. <laughs> but listen, the A's, are, the A's are too good for this. You know, I, they've, what, 97 wins each of the last two years, haven't gotten past the wild card round, they're finally here. But I don't think that they deserve to be swept down in three. And I don't think they will be. I don't think they're going to come back from down 2 nothing. But I don't think it's going to end today. You know, there is something about being down 0-2. I mean, and and I, I, I always think about Kevin Millar and that video about the Red Sox coming back 
against the Yankees when he was on the field. I think he was talking to Dan Shaughnessy, and he was like, hey, listen, we win today, and then we got Pedro, and then we got Schilling. I mean, that's kind of the mentality that you have to have. I know we have to take it one day at a time, one pitch at a time, and all that, and all the cliches, but the reality is you have to believe that you can win today, you can win tomorrow, and then everything's even for a game five. Well, I agree with you on that, but don't forget also that Kevin Millar said, if we win today, then we'll have Pedro and Schilling. And as much as I like the arms that the A's have, they do not have Pedro and Schilling lined up next. That's going to make it a little harder. Yeah, can we get uh, Pedro out from TBS and, and, and get him in the green and gold? <laughs> I, I'd take him today. <laughs> yeah, um, I would actually like to watch that very much. Listen, I like the A's arms a lot, and I'm interested to see how Lizardo does today because – we had one of these A's games last week against the White Sox on our, our ESPN Plus show, and Frankie Matas looked unbelievable. You know, and I know Melvin has said he'll get in some time no matter what, um, but I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see because it's kind of funny. You had Bassett and you had Manaya. I like both Lizardo and Montas better than either of the first two starters. So at least in some sense, you could argue you're getting into the stronger part of the rotation here. By the way, I love your StatCast shows. Uh, you know, I mean, for thank you for, for people. You know, it's very I think it's very tough once these games go national for a lot of fans, because baseball is a local sport. Let's be honest. It's a local market sport. And once it goes national, you're bringing in broadcasters that, you know, they don't really know your team, especially guys who are coming out east. And I think like you guys know baseball, you can break baseball down. And watching these stat cast shows have been a lot of fun. How much fun are they for you to be able to do these shows? Well, first of all, thank you for watching them and for the kind words. And they are a blast. And I think that's the most important part. More than anything to do with stats, old metrics, new metrics, any of it, is that we have a blast. So before it's been myself, Jason Benetti, and Eduardo Perez. Last week, instead of Eduardo, we had Kyle Peterson. And what I hope people got from it was like, hey, these are three people who really like baseball and most importantly, like talking to each other. Like one day we had an eight hour long sort of red zone whip around kind of thing. That one day when all the games were happening at the same time and we did it without ad breaks, like your traditional game, you'll get to go to break when the inning ends. And I got to tell you, if I didn't like those two guys, I don't think I could have talked to them for eight straight hours about baseball without ripping them through the Zoom call. You know, like it's got to be, hey, this is fun. I'm enjoying being here. If you're having fun, the people who are watching will have fun. And then the stats are cool, but they're secondary to me. You know, people just don't want to hear cliches. They don't want to hear complaining about the the shift or begging for bumps or anything like that. They want to know why baseball teams do the things they do. And they want it to be entertaining. It's never going to be a math lesson on these shows. And we have so much fun. And I'm so fortunate to have the chance to do them. Well, trust me, we're promoting you. We had Jason Benetti on before one of your whip arounds. And that's what, uh, after we had him on, and that was what what we ended up watching. And, and I was watching, you know, I had the A's game on, but I was watching you guys on my computer. And it was like, you don't know if baseball could actually do a red zone and how popular that is with the National Football League, where more people rather watch the red zone than actually watch a football game that's not their team. The research has shown that. I think what you guys have proven, you could, I mean, it'd be very tough, it'd be a long day, but you guys have proven you could pull off a red zone for Major League Baseball. I hope so. I mean, a lot of that goes to the fact that I think Jason is just the best play-by-play man on earth. You know, he could make anything interesting. And he was actually off to do college football like the very next night. The, the man is a machine. 
but I, I do think we have a good grouping there, you know, because I can, I obviously can speak from the statistical point of view and I can look up anything very quickly that I don't know. And then whether it's Eduardo or, or Kyle, we have the, the pitchers, the players point of view, which is super important because you got to have someone who's actually played the game, you know, and obviously we've got a great production team at ESPN. So every time we do it, people seem to really enjoy it. And I always appreciate that because we put a lot of work into it and we have so much fun doing it. And I think we've done it enough times now uh, that we, we've proven it's a concept that works. It's not just like a fun one-off. So I hope we get a chance to do more in the future. Well, we're promoting you here on Ace Cast Live. It's a great product. Uh, when you look at the Astros, they struggled this year. There's no question. And they struggled offensively. But they do have star power. They have great players. What has changed for the Astros from the regular season to the series against the Twins to where we are now, the A's down 0-2? Interestingly enough to me, I think it's the pitching. You know, if you if you look at the series against the Twins, especially, it's, that's the Bomba squad, right? And they scored, I think, what, one run in each game. And a big part of that goes to the rotation of the uh, of the, the Astros and also to Dusty Baker. I mean, he's got this reputation, reputation as being a dinosaur from a different generation. And your starting pitcher has to go and throw 175 pitches. And he didn't do that. He effectively piggybacked those pitchers in the first round, right? Like he had Granky and Valdez. Uh, and then the next day, I don't even remember who started, but he was followed by Christian Javier. And like, that was really, really effective because this is not the same Astros rotation. Verlander's not around. Cole's not around. Actually, now Granky is dealing with a bit of an arm issue, which is why Urquidy is pitching today. But there's a lot of credit to me that goes to Dusty Baker because they've had like seven or eight rookies in that bullpen all year long. They obviously don't have the big two horses at the top and he's made it work. You know, that's, that's a huge credit to him. I think sort of adapting to the modern game like that. You know, I think about the percentages, obviously they're not in the A's favor being down Oh two, but what is the, what has to happen for the A's to truly make a comeback, get this thing in five, even possibly win it. What has to happen for them? And I think the bats need to wake up a little bit. And that might be a bit of a tough ask because this wasn't actually a great offense this year. They were about league average. And then obviously they lost Chapman, as you know, and, and Simeon didn't have a great year. It's been nice to see Chris Davis, you know, pounding the ball because it's it's been a rough year or two for him. Uh, but Urquidy is, is good, but he's not great. I know he kind of had a, a nice little pop-up in the postseason last year, but he, he got COVID, unfortunately. He missed a lot of this year. He really has not missed a lot of bats, you know? So if you can't go out there and get some offense off of him, then it's hard to look anywhere else. It's hard to look at the Astros. You know, you got to look at your lineup and say, guys, we didn't get the job done. And if they don't, it's going to be the end of the season today. You know, this uh, ALDS down in San Diego at Petco Park has been very interesting. I thought uh, I, I thought the Rays on that Clint Frazier, it should have been called a ball, would have, would have made it bases loaded with nobody out. Uh, that strikeout that uh, Pete Fairbanks got last night, but whatever, it's tied one-one. This is a fascinating series because these two teams know each other so well. How do you think it plays out? I, you know, I'm really glad you brought up Pete Fairbanks because at the same time last night, I had that game on one screen and the Dodger game on another screen, and Pete Fairbanks and Dustin May are simultaneously throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs, and you wonder why nobody can hit anybody. <laughs> the the Yankees race series has been fun. I mean, you talk about how much the A's and Astros don't like each other, and that's true. But man, I think I think Yankees Rays might be the best. Uh, rivalry going in baseball right now and it's partially because they're both very good they've got a lot of history to be sure you know the, the Yankees have a lot to answer for today I think just because of how spectacularly 
the gambit to use Davy Garcia as an opener failed yesterday. And I'm, I'm in favor of the idea. I think an opener is a cool idea. But as far as I'm concerned, you need two things to make it work. First, you need to kind of bring in, if you're going to have a guy throw one inning, you need him to be a short reliever who wasn't going to throw more than one inning anyway. You know, Garcia is young and talented. He could have given you a couple. You didn't have to yank him. The second thing is you need the veteran starter behind him to be all in on the idea. And it's pretty clear Jay Happ was not. You know, I, I think that can give back a lot of the momentum that the strategy gives you if the guys doing it don't actually want to. I think that's that's tough, and I think that's where maybe they fell short yesterday. You know, I know there's not an analytic for this. I just when when you're going out there like the Padres yesterday and you're throwing out whatever nine pitchers, I just don't think this is good for the position players in your offense. I I, I don't know how to quantify it. I just it, it mucks up the game. It makes the game just slow. Um, Dodgers obviously are so talented, but but what do you make of teams that are just like all hands on deck and we're going to throw a bazillion pitchers at you? Do you like that? And can is there anything any in any analytic you can say? You know what? That really doesn't work. Well, I think it's different for the Padres just because they've had so many pitching injuries. And they don't really have much of a choice, especially last night. You know, Clevenger couldn't make it through two innings. I don't think they wanted that to happen. And that's, that's the position they've been put into. And I think they're going to suffer for it over a longer series. I think this is a, it's an important way to think about the difference between what makes for winning baseball and what makes for entertaining baseball. They're not necessarily the same thing, you know, and it's the team's job to win. It's not the team's job to be fun and exciting. Cause I, I agree with you. Like, you know, we think about classic pitching matchups and in the postseason, what do we think about? We think about like Jack Morris going 10 innings in, in the World Series, right? We don't think about nine pitchers coming in and all throwing an inning apiece. And it's it's not as much fun, but there's certainly reason to think that it makes sense. I mean, would you rather be facing a starter 140 pitches deep in the ninth inning for the fourth time? Or would you be rather be facing yet another pitcher who throws 98 with the slider? You know, what, what the Padres do that's really interesting is that all of their relievers have an incredibly different look. You know, you have like funky lefty sidearm or Tim Hill or Austin Adams who throws only sliders or Pierce Johnson who throws only curveballs and Drew Pomerantz with a really good lefty rising fastball and here comes Trevor Rosenthal who still throws 100 or veteran sinker baller Craig Salmon. I think if you have guys, every time they come up, they have to see something different. That's really hard to time. And I think there's some evidence that does hurt the batters when you have to see it like that. I get that in theory. My problem with that is now you're asking too many guys to be good. And as you saw last night, they had multiple guys that gave up runs. That's where, and, and that's where I didn't like the idea of what the A's did in the wild card game two years ago, where they were going to staff it because now you're asking too many pitchers to be perfect. Am I really going to have nine guys not give it up? for an entire game. Yes, in theory, you're bringing in a bunch of different guys, a bunch of different arms, a lot of guys throwing at high speed, but is everybody going to have a good night? You're trying to bank on a lot of different guys having a good night, and when you're dealing with human beings, normally that doesn't happen. Super fair. I, I would agree with that totally. I would point out, though, in the, the Padres game last night, two things happened. First of all, the Dodgers have a fantastic offense. There's an argument that there's no good strategy after your pitcher goes out in the first inning that's going to stop them. And the second thing is, they didn't really, the Padres, you know, the guys who didn't have their best games necessarily, it's not like they got lit up, you know, there, no ball was going out of that park. Some of those were kind of like dinky hits that fell. So while I do agree with you, I think pitchers in this game are so good 
that more often than not, they're on. And, and again, it's not always a choice. The Padres didn't really want to have to do that. And I think what's important to remember is when you're making that choice, it's not generally, am I doing this or am I starting Garrett Cole? You know, it's like, am I doing this or am I going to let my fifth best starter try to get into the sixth inning? I think that's the decision that's always important to remember. Yeah, the Dodgers, you know, we got to see them at the end of the year. And, you know, I don't know their stats completely, but not only do they have the firepower and watching that game last night, you know, they've got the firepower to hit it out of the ballpark. And then you got Justin Turner getting jammed going to right field and they're all shaking their hands because it's not a barrel. And then you got an infield hit by Bellinger. I, I mean, they're a team that has the ultimate firepower. And you tell me from the stats, they also make contact, which I think is key and which is something that we don't see from the A's. Well, the Dodgers, I think, are pretty clearly the best team in baseball, uh, without question about that. And they did have tied for the second lowest strikeout rate uh, in the game by by an offensive team, which is wonderful. But most importantly, they did that while also having the highest slugging percentage in baseball. You know, that's where it comes down to. If you can make contact and that contact is strong contact, like wonderful. You have really you have really nailed the secret sauce, and that's obviously much easier said than done. But I, I just always like to point out, contact is not necessarily good contact. You know, like the two of the uh, the three teams with the lowest strikeout rate in baseball were the Nationals and the Diamondbacks. They both had really lousy offenses because they just didn't make good contact. Like I don't really care about the difference between a strikeout and a weak ground out to second. But so far as the Dodgers go, yeah, if you're making good contact, then great. The more of it, the better for sure. All right, let's end on this. You got to buy stock in a team, right? You got kids going to college. You need some extra cash. You can't pick the Dodgers. Who would you buy stock in? Who's left? Out of the teams that's left, oh, that's a really interesting question. I guess I'm going to take. I guess I'm going to take the Rays. Um, I really like what the Rays can do, both with that pitching staff. I think not enough people know that Nick Anderson is the best reliever in baseball. No disrespect to Liam Hendricks, who's obviously also very good, but I'll take Nick Anderson. And they've got uh, a deeper rotation than I think than the Yankees do for sure, and then that people give them credit for. You know, you've got Glasnow and Snell and Morton, and then in the fourth starter, you can break out, you know, Ryan Yarborough or, or someone who can give you a couple innings and a, a sneaky, decent offense. So I think the Rays is pretty clearly where the best team in the AL, and it wouldn't be surprising at all to see a Dodgers Rays World Series. Well, let me tell you something. If any way we can help you make this StatCast broadcast a consistent thing, you know how our audience rolls. I mean, we're the Moneyball audience. We're all about it. So if you can make that happen, we will We will push it to uh, no end. So thank you for coming on. Let's do this again before we uh, end the baseball season. And I love your work, MLB.com. But wh- whatever we can do to get this stat cast thing going, uh, it would be incredible to have a show like that, whether it's on the you know on a Saturday or as much as we can do it. We loved it. Thank you for the kind words. And Chris, I can tell you this, the last time I set foot in a major league ballpark was in the Oakland Coliseum last year. I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to do it again, but I'm always going to have fond memories of that. Isn't that sad? I mean, it's like, it's like my staff, my guys, I because, mean, because of governor Newsom, they did what they wanted low numbers in the Coliseum. So we said, yeah, we can, you know, we all have home studios. I mean, it's unbelievable that we will not go to a baseball game this year. Yeah, me too. I live in New York City. <clears throat> I didn't go to either of the parks, and I just don't know when I will again. Uh, well, keep up the great work. We appreciate it, and let's talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Mike Petriello from MLB.com, and he's taking your raise as he's buying stock. He's a big fan of Cashy. 
my good friend Kevin, Kevin Cash. Cash, friend of friend, Co- Cody's like, I mean, you guys are like BFFs. Yeah, he, again, he used Nick Anderson in a high leverage situation last night. He didn't use him as a conventional closer. And remember, they had what twelve different guys get a save in the regular season, and now Fairbanks has, well, I think, what one or two in the postseason. He locked out last yeah. night. But still, they, I mean, seriously, that like, I'm pulling for the Rays. I mean, I can't stand the Yankees. I don't. Want, I, I'd love to see the Rays move on. But that call last night, I was sitting on my couch and I went, "Oh my god!" That was like electric strike zone. Please, folks, if you didn't see it, is this ball was high and outside. And even as a former pitcher, there's no way I could even say I'd want that call. Like, it was such a ball. And that just goes to these guys are throwing so hard, it's hard for umpires to really have a strike zone. It's hard for them to see it. It's coming in so fast. But that was a ball, and now you're talking bases loaded, nobody out, and he's probably cash is going to the bullpen there. And now you're bringing in a guy fresh, nobody out, Bases loaded. That game could have changed so fast. Uh, I think the Rays got away with one. Now, to be honest, next guy up could hit a line drive to shortstop, and they double somebody up. I mean, anything can happen, but I just got a feeling that the the Yankees truly got away with one last night. Well, there's another thing, too, that the Rays have in common. The four guys they used last night, uh, Tyler Glasnow, uh, Diego Castillo, who I always talk about, Nick Anderson and Fairbanks. What do they all have in common? Uh, first out, Glass now throwing a fastball right down the middle <laughs> to Mike Stanton is not going to work. I'm just saying. I've never seen a ball. Is that the longest home run at Petco Park in the history of the ballpark? It, it, I mean, I, I didn't see any numbers on it, but I mean, from what I've ever seen from watching, it, that's clearly the farthest one. Okay, I've been to Petco Park. I can't believe, like, you'd have to go to Petco Park to understand Giancarlo, how far he hit that ball up there. Like, that's in, like, uh, that's like a super season ticket holder, special seats, dining type area that you never see. No one's ever hit it up there. I mean, we got to ask Sarah if that's the longest home run at that. But, I mean, that, I couldn't, like, when he hit it and I'm watching, I'm going, oh, my God. And you know what? It is fun to see him healthy, by the way. Oh, he's incredible when he's healthy and he's hitting home runs like that. There's nobody like him. There's no, I don't think we'll ever see a guy like him when he's fully healthy and hitting home runs. That's why they put so much emphasis on having him and Judge in the lineup because they are essentially the Twin Towers. They're incredibly powerful when they're healthy, but the only problem is they're not always healthy. But that this hel- is, hey, hey, this is what Babe Ruth would have been like. And today's era, yeah, I can only imagine what his yeah. exit velo was on some of his home runs. I mean, I've seen Babe Ruth bat at the – so so how good is Babe Ruth? Okay, I, I know people try and downplay him, but you you don't understand. His bat, they have like – he has his own wing at the Baseball Hall of Fame. If you ever get to Cooperstown, he's the only player in the history of the game that has his own wing. And you see his bats – you have no idea how strong he would have been or, or or how do I want to put this? How strong he had to be to swing that large and that heavy of a bat. And we do know 
If you swing a bat that heavy and you're connecting like that, ball's going to go. Babe Ruth had incredible power for the players of his era. That's what John Carlos like. Like he hits home runs, you just go, "Oh my god." I mean that that I mean to hit that ball the first night the grand slam to dead central. You got to remember ball doesn't carry down there. I mean, they truly have the marine layer going at Petco Park. That ball he hit up in left field, I, I can't – what did they say how far it went? I'm looking right now. It was 118.3 uh, miles per hour off the bat, 458 uh, feet is what it was. He had another home you run in the game. You're me your guy, your, your, your French outfielder from the White Sox, <laughs> Robert, that you like to call him, uh, Luis Robert. You're trying to say his ball went farther at the Coliseum, 487, than that ball last night? Come on. There's no way. I'm asking Sarah right now if that was the furthest home run at Petco because I keep trying to find it on Google, but a different article comes up with a different different person, so I'll see if she has the actual number. But he hit one another one. I think the first one he hit uh, went like 114 miles off the bat, and then that one was 118. Chad Pinder hit a laser in the Dodger game or at Dodger Stadium. It only went 111 miles off the bat. Well <laughs> – I had it yesterday in my report during the game, thanks for listening, um, that John Carlo against the Indians had one that was 116.1 miles per hour off the bat. That was the best this postseason. So last night he broke that at 118. I think the the longest, uh, if you look at the StatCast record for who has the hardest hit balls in the StatCast era, that's back to 2015. I think every guy on the list is John Carlo Stanton. I think one through five at least is John Carlo Stanton. Do you realize what that means that the ball's coming off his bat at 118 miles an hour? It means that 52.9% 52 of runs scored this postseason have come via the home run. That's uh, the juice ball might be back. Oh, the juice ball is back. Let's it's a, not kid ourselves. It's the second highest in the history of baseball behind only the 1956 playoffs when their home runs, uh, runs came on 53.5% of long balls. So we're, we're trending at, if you round up 53% right now. So we'll, we'll see what happens today. Cause teams there are 16 and zero in the postseason when they out Homer their opponents. So. I mean, if you're watching these playoffs, how could you possibly tell me that the juice ball is not back, but you know what? Good for business. I think it's good for business. I said in the post game, I'll set in this show. It's good for business. Everybody loves home runs. I've never heard anybody say they don't like home runs. And the bottom line is ratings are at a all-time low for the NBA Finals, even though LeBron and the Lakers are in the NBA Finals. They're at an all-time low. Then you have NFL ratings are down. This is a great time for baseball and for baseball to have ratings and have a lot of people watching it. It's a great time for baseball to strike and uh, get a lot of love from the public because ratings are good for Major League Baseball. Coming up next, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball. And I've said, I, I, I like him. I like what he's done. I like that he's willing to make changes. You're going to hear from the commish next, right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Shamanaya. Shamanaya has no hit the 
and you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. You know, I said this last night when I was doing an interview on KMBR. And, you know, we try not to talk about it too much here. But the reality is this has been a really hard season. And I was asked if, you know, if the A's end up losing, how tough is that going to be? And I said, the reality is this. The fact that we got a season in is a miracle. And yes, people will be angry. But then I think reality will set in. That we're lucky we had baseball. And I think for every franchise, franchises that didn't make the playoffs, franchises that make the playoffs, and ultimately the winner. But the fact that we have baseball and now the NFL's dealing with COVID-19, who knows how that's going to play out. The fact that, you know, we haven't had a positive test in a long time and that we got through it after what happened to the Marlins and what happened to the Cardinals. Even the A's with a test and they got, you know, held up in Houston. I'm very thankful we had this season. I really, really am. So no matter what happens, yeah, the ultimate not going to the World Series and winning the World Series will suck. But we all have to have perspective. This is arguably the worst year of our lives, no matter how old you are. And here in Northern California, to what's still going on. The fact that we've had baseball has been so refreshing and so good for our psyches that, yes, we won a World Series, but I'm just thankful we had baseball. Now, it's not over. It's still got a chance. But every single time I bring on Dave Cavill or I bring on David Forrest or we bring on Bob Melvin, the fact that the A's, for the most part, have been safe and they've gotten through this and really 29 other teams Everybody needs to be commended, and and including the commissioner's office that's been flexible, that's helped all these teams and this sport get through it. We had them last year before the wild card game, and now we have them during the American League Division Series. Here is my conversation earlier this morning with the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred. Rob, it is outstanding to have you once again here on A's Cast Live. And I got to tell you, whenever we talk to Dave Cavill, whenever we talk to David Forrest, whenever we talk to our skipper, Bob Melvin, we just the fact that they've been able to keep this thing going and keep everybody safe. I think for everybody in the sport, what you guys have done from New York, what we have done in New, in uh, Oakland, and what everybody has done in baseball, it's truly amazing we have gotten to this point. It, it, it's under your leadership and all baseball leadership that it's just fabulous that, that what baseball has been able to do this year. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. You know, I, I think your comment hits it right on the head. It's been a um, tremendous team effort. Um, uh, obviously, um, a lot of hard work has been done by my folks in New York. Um, but the clubs, you know, and the players, I think we lose sight of the fact that um, we ask players to alter the way they play the game on the field, alter the way they live their personal lives. And, you know, it's been a real sacrifice for them, and they've done a phenomenal job. So um, we feel very fortunate to have gotten this far. 
And the number one thing is that 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 everybody who, whether it was Oakland or whatever ballpark, is that everybody felt safe. Whether it was the players, the coaching staff, the media. Uh, I mean, how important was that to you that? Everybody that showed up knew that they were okay and they were in the correct working environment. Well, you know, it was the number one issue. Um, people feeling safe, comfortable, um, dealing w- with the health concerns was at the top of our list um, from the very beginning. I know, you know, people always like to ascribe different motivations to things we do, but the, the fact of the matter is that was our number one priority throughout, and we wouldn't have been successful if it wasn't. And I think about where we are now in, in, in the season, that we're now in the bubble and we're now in the playoffs. I think you have to be proud the way it's going. The fact that you have it in Southern California, you have it going in Texas. Yeah, the bubble was, I, I think, important um, for us when we got down to, uh, you know, a number of teams that was manageable to put in the bubble. Um, I think given the course of the virus, sort of the recent developments, I think it was really important that we were able to make an agreement with the Players Association to get us into what everybody agrees is the safest possible format. And we're looking at right now what the athletics and what we have going now at Dodger Stadium and obviously what's going on in Southern California at Petco Park. What was that like dealing with California, making sure that baseball could go in California? You know, um, I will say this across the board. Um, we got. Uh, tremendous cooperation from state and local um, officials in terms of working with us uh, to make uh, it possible to play baseball. Obviously, you know, different states had different levels of uh, of the virus, uh, had different approaches to managing the virus. Uh, but overall, um, the states were clear with us as to what we had to do, and and obviously. We um, complied with what was necessary to allow us to play the games. Um, I think the sites in Southern California, uh, both San Diego and Los Angeles, have been great for us. Um, We've had good weather. um, And, you know, I think people feel safe with the environment that we've created. And one of the great things is the fact that it it gives us entertainment because, you know, where we are in the Bay Area and, and a lot of parts of California that, you know, we're still not allowed inside restaurants. We're still in what we would call some part of a lockdown. It's been big for us to have baseball and, and to have that entertainment every single day. How important has that been for you, the fact that you could provide that to us on, on an everyday basis? Well, it, it was the driving force for me, but more importantly for the owners um, to, to make the effort undertaken um, to, to play the games, uh, particularly at the point in time that we were making decisions um, on this topic, uh, there there was nothing in terms of entertainment, and we felt it was important that we play a role in uh, trying to provide a diversion to people during a very, very difficult time in this country. You know, I think about a lot of the new rules, and some people thought, oh, I can't believe we're going to be doing this, we can't be going to be doing that. They basically have all worked. How great has that been for your office that you implemented new things and you're able to do it in a season like this, and really, they all worked. It was one of the silver linings, I think, in terms of um, everything that's gone on in 2020. Um, you know, we understand baseball is a tradition-bound game. Um, you know, our fans love the game the way it is. Um, we had to do certain things in 2020 in order to play the games and, and play them safely. 
Um, and I think the fact that people reacted positively to the change, put to one side the specifics and whether they're going to continue, just the positive reaction to the game being played in a little different way is a good thing for the sport over the long haul. Yeah, you know, so funny is the extra innings rule with putting the runner on second. All my old time baseball guys were so against it. And it was so funny, Rob, that like halfway through, they're like, I actually really like this. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Well, I think the great thing about that rule, I, I think really the best thing about that rule is that it um, does kind of require the sort of strategic thinking and strategic play that baseball fans love. And I think that explains kind of the positive reaction even some of the most traditional people have had to the rule. Yeah, I couldn't believe we turned this many old schoolers. And, and, and you know, I think that's one of the things, and I talked to you about this last time at, the, at last year's wild card game, is the fact that you're willing to change and you're willing to make decisions that what's best for the sport uh, what is that like for you as a commissioner where a lot of commissioners are afraid to make change? You're not afraid. Well, look, I love the game. I love the game the way it is, but I, I do think that um, no institution can just stay the same indefinitely. I think that in order to make sure that um, our game continues to be important, um, you know, an integral part of American culture, we have to consider thoughtful changes to the product to make sure the next generation loves the game the same way that we do. Um, you know, it's no wrap on anything that we do today. It's, it's no wrap on the way the game's been played um, uh, for, for a very long time, but small changes um, can help make the game better for um, future generations, I believe. You know, when I think about the postseason and when you put a lot of quality teams in and you get a tournament, obviously, if we look at the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, college basketball, college football, you put more teams in. It doesn't mean that the quality of the entertainment's going to be down. How happy have you been with, with the playoffs so far? I've been thrilled with the playoffs so, so far. I think the idea of, um, you know, having more teams when you don't have that full 162 game shakeout that we have in the normal year was the right idea. Um, I, I think the two out of three round, um, the wild card round was really exciting for our, for our fans. And, um, you know, I think that um, 2020 is going to be remembered as kind of a special postseason. You know, I say that with the one caveat, it really was the right format for a 60 game season. You know, I'm glad you said that because it really bothered me when some people in the media talked about, oh, this season should have an asterisk. I think of what everybody's been through. I think about the pandemic. I think about social injustice. I think about the A's and the Astros. All of a sudden, we were potentially dealing with a hurricane. I think about out here with the air quality in California because of the fires. I think of whoever is able to survive this. And whoever wins the World Series, this is going to be one of the toughest World Series team, not only physically, but mentally. What everybody has had to do, everybody, what everybody's had to deal with, I think whoever wins the World Series, this is going to be a special, very special World Series champion. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, put the competition on the field to one side. Obviously, we always have great competition on the field. It's tough to win a World Series. I think all of the surrounding events this year, um, the team that, that overcomes all those events uh, will be a very special World Series winner, in my view. What's it been like talking with the other leagues about how this, how, how just 
to finish your season and get this going? Because I, I know you've talked with the NBA. Well, we've talked to all the other leagues, you know, the, the NHL, the NBA, um, and the NFL from the very beginning. Um, obviously, we're all facing uh, a very unique set of challenges. Each sport's a little different. You have to have your own plan to deal with, um, you know, where you were in your calendar, how many games you want to play, and, you know, what the facility situation's like. But I, I think the back and forth between the leagues um, really collegial and certainly from my perspective, really helpful in terms of learning um, what you need to do uh, to manage what has been a very unpredictable virus. You know, when I think about going forward, I mean, I, I know you got to have a plan, but but how do you foresee the off season going for this sport? Well, you know, look, uh, predictions about the future is a dangerous undertaking in 2020. Okay. I mean, I think the the I think the off season, pretty much like the season, is the virus is going to dictate what the off season looks like. Um, we're hopeful and we're planning for um, a return to more normal operations as we gear up for 2021. But again, um, no matter how much you plan, no matter how many contingencies you've thought through, it's it's about the virus at the end of the day. You know, I just think, and let's end on this. I, I just think about what everybody has been through, these traveling parties, whether you're in the postseason or you're not in the postseason, just to get this in, because a lot of people, there was a lot of criticism. There was a lot of people who didn't believe it would matter. Just in the end, how proud are you of everybody, not only of your staff there in New York, but everybody in baseball, the fact that we got through this, we're going to get through this, and, and, and so many people are safe inside your sport, and that Major League Baseball made this happen in 2020. Yeah, I'm, I, I take a lot of satisfaction um, from the fact that the players, the clubs, the media, frankly, and, um, you know, obviously my staff in New York have done a phenomenal job, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm very grateful that we've gotten to this point and hope we can uh, finish it up and uh, crown a World Series champion. Well, thank you so much for the time. It's an absolute honor to have you on the program again. Be well, be safe, and uh, I can't wait to watch the rest of us, see how it plays out, and hopefully the A's, we can keep this thing going. All right, thank you. It's good to talk to you. The Commish. Can't say it enough, folks. We're lucky we are where we are right now. We're lucky that the NBA is getting through it. We're lucky that we crowned a Stanley Cup champion. We'll be lucky to get the football season in. College and pro. We really are. Whatever the outcomes are, whether you're a Lightning fan, I mean, Tampa's on a pretty good roll, uh, whether you're a Lightning fan or you're a Laker fan, because I think the Lakers are going to win it, whoever wins the World Series, we're going to look back at the season and we're going to say, man, we were lucky just to have sports. We missed it so. We got it back. And we got to just be thankful. Look at how many businesses have been shut down. This is a business. I know we think of sports not as a business. This is a business. Look how many businesses in California alone that will be lost forever. Small businesses crushed. Restaurants, bars. They employ the most people in California. Crushed. We're lucky we have baseball. 
no matter what happens today down at Dodger Stadium, I'll always look back at this season and be thankful. Thankful to have a job. Thankful for my family. Thankful for health. Thankful that the A's and the rest of Major League Baseball gave us something. Golf, NASCAR. I mean, I'm watching sports that I don't really watch, but I'm now watching because I'm just thankful to have stuff that's live on the program, on your television. And I want to thank Catherine Aker and her staff for making it happen uh, like they did last year before the wild card game and doing this now to get the commissioner. I can guarantee you there's not a lot of people today or not a lot of people in the next coming weeks that are getting the commissioner of baseball on their program. And that's what we always promise you here on A's Cast Live. We promise you the best. We strive to be the best. And we're trying to make we're we're trying to make this program and A's Cast the best podcast that there is, just not in baseball, but in all in professional sports. That 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 is our goal. And it's to bring you the very best, the best guests, the best programming, the best segments. We got to win the segments like the A's need to win innings today. We win segment, segment by segment. There is no tomorrow. The A's have to win today. Let's see. Who are you as a team? Who are you as individuals? The only people that need to believe, by the way, doesn't matter what Cody believes. Doesn't matter what I believe. Doesn't matter what Foss believes. The only people that matter are the players. They have to believe. They have to believe they can get it done. It's been done before. You can come back from 02, but who are you? Are you going to get bullied? Are you going to get roughed up the way you've been roughed up the last two days? Or are you going to fight back? I understand when Mike Petriello says, hey, listen, there's some teams that make a lot of contact and they have a horrible offense. I treat that the exact same way I treat Commander Cody with Jacob DeGrom. That's an outlier. Yeah, there can be some teams that make contact, but I guarantee you the best teams, I watched the Dodgers win a game last night and I didn't see the ball going out of the ballpark. And everybody keeps telling me they're the best roster in the game. Are they the best roster in the game, Cody? Uh, there's no argument here for me on that one. I think they have the best all-around team in Major League Baseball. How many home runs did they hit yesterday? Uh, none. And they won a playoff game? It was crazy, but they did. Oh, and let's throw 8 million pitchers at them because that's so tough to deal with. And they won the game facing nine pitchers. Yeah. Very By the way, did you like did you did you like my comeback to him? Yes. On, on all the pitchers. Yes. See, that's the total analytics. See, that's where I can play both sides. Where the total analytic person's like, "Oh man, they're facing nine guys that are tough to hit." Oh well, if they're as Brad Pitt said, and a variation of it, if they're so tough to hit, why'd they get hit? You can't expect nine guys to be perfect. That's why Jesus Cesardo, throw him out there, and it's throw him into the pool. 
sink or swim, throw him into the pool. And if he and you're and if he starts doggy paddling, uh-uh. Keep swimming, son. He needs to learn to be an ace. Go out and learn today. That's all I care about. I don't know what's gonna happen. Play loose, have fun, do dances in the in the <laughs> dugout, whatever it takes. But I do not want to see Jesus Lazardo pulled early. What I want to see is this kid go out there and battle. Because his whole career, you've babied him. You babied him in the minors. You've babied him now. This is not a day to baby him. Take off the training wheels and let's go. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but he'll be better for it because you're going to need him in the next couple of years to win big games, to win game one, to win game seven. When am I back? Uh, Total access starts at 1140. 1140? Wow, we're out early today. Yeah, we're going to replay Doug Glanville uh, going into total access today. No Bob Melvin today. Hey, can we do a uh, monthly thing with the commission? That would be a lot of fun. Well, right now we're on a yearly track with him, so we'll see what we can do. I'll get him a sponsor. Start, start, start big, and then we'll make it. Uh, we'll make it so we can do it uh, more uh, bi-weekly or bi-monthly or something. I'll so. send him chicken pies. How about that? It's the Rob Manfred Show, brought to you by the Chicken Pie Ship of Walnut Creek. Which, by the way, we now have indoor dining. Just to let you know, uh, great show today. Absolute great show. When you can have Ray Fossey, Doug Glanville, Mike Petriello from MLB, and I do believe that that the whip around that stat cast show he does is phenomenal. And the commissioner of baseball, it doesn't get any better than that. All right, A's fans. We're going to have A's total access coming up. Before that, we'll have Doug Glanville, and then we're going to have first pitch for you. And hopefully, we're going to have a fun postgame show today. Thank you for listening. Here is Doug Lamble. We'll be back in a few minutes. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.